1: Good morning, Frank. How are you today? You know, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, The sun is out. Air is clean. Can't complain.
2: So, Frank, I understand today that this hot-button topic that we've been seeing more and more about is going to be what we're going to talk about today. And and that hot-button topic is kind of this new relationship between OSHA and the Labor Board. Would you mind explaining to our audience what that relationship is and kind of give a high level of what you think it might mean?
1: I think uh, this is what we were referencing in our last podcast uh, about uh, when we were talking about effective training programs. Today, we'll talk about the memorandum that came out at the end of October between the National Labor Relations Board and Occupational Safety and Health Administration wherein the two agencies agreed to up their cooperation. And what do I mean by up their cooperation? In theory, they've always had a, had the concept that they could share cases, but they've clarified that in this new memorandum that, that says if the labor board gets a case and they think that it has implications to one of the 22 or 23 whistleblower statutes that OSHA enforces, Then they'll contact OSHA and say, hey guys, y'all should consider following up on this aspect of of one of your whistleblower statutes. Uh, Conversely, if an OSHA compliance officer identifies what the labor board considers to be protected concerted activity and employer retaliation, trying to restrain somebody from exercising a right guaranteed by the National Labor Relations Act, then the agreement is that OSHA will alert the labor board. And in so doing, uh, they'll have two agencies inspecting the same employer for different types of alleged unlawful conduct stemming from the same employer action. Uh, and typically, the employer action that they would be looking at would have to do with some type of adverse employment action, a uh, discharge, discharge. Uh, a demotion, a lack of a promotion, or or anything that uh, seems un, unfair to uh, an individual employee.
2: So Frank, a lot of our listeners are not all that familiar with the NLRA, National Labor Relation Act, or the NLRB, the National Labor Relation Board. Could you explain at a very high level kind of what the National Labor Relation Act does in terms of conferring rights on employees.
1: So whatever we talk about the National Labor Relations Act or the NLRA, and we talk about employee rights, uh, you'll hear a reference to Section 7 rights. And Section 7 of the National Labor Relations Act, in relevant part, provides that employees shall have the right to engage in concerted activities for purposes of collective bargaining or other mutual aid or protection, uh, and so collective bargaining, right, is your typical meeting with an employer between a majority representative of employees saying these are the terms we would like to negotiate uh, some type of agreement uh, where they're bargaining on behalf of of all the employees in, a, in an affected class, but other mutual aid or protection can look more like, for instance, a safety complaint. So you might have an employee come up to an employer and say, "Uh, I think it's unsafe here because you're requiring me to uh, work eight hours and only giving me four to six breaks uh, shift. And I think I need more break time and less work time and and so do my colleagues. So uh, it's one employee making an argument uh, about safety, for instance, On behalf of uh, other employees with whom that employee works. Uh, And that is considered protected activity under Section 7 of the National Labor Relations Act. Now, uh, everybody here is familiar with 11C of the OSH Act, which prevents retaliation against an employee who engages an employer um, or brings forth a safety complaint uh, related to the OSHA Act. And so what this agreement essentially does is it says if if the labor board uh, receives a section seven or an employee alleges under that they've been discriminated against under section seven of the labor act, then the labor board agent that receives that complaint can say, you know what, we think you could also file that very same complaint with OSHA and uh, under 11C. And they can either encourage the employee to to file a a simultaneous complaint with OSHA, or that labor board agent, him or herself, can call up OSHA and say, hey, guess what, I I think I got one for you. And so the employer for the same alleged conduct could be investigated by the labor board at the same time uh, as an OSHA whistleblower investigator uh, pursues an investigation. And Frank, okay. just for our audience's
2: edification, you mentioned that there's 22 or 23 federal statutes for which OSHA serves as essentially the investigatory body for relative to whistleblower complaints. And, and a lot of folks don't understand that. And I just wanted to kind of explain for our audience that, you know, there, there's a variety of things. So, you know, like a lot of people have heard of the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, and there's there are certain rights folks
1: have under that. There's the STA. Transportation Assistance Act, that's for, for truckers. Right, and, and
2: you know, whether it's the FDA or any one of a number of other federal agencies, when somebody makes a whistleblower claim relative to the protected activity that that particular agency is responsible for, OSHA's the body that handles those. But that's kind of a, a separate piece separate and apart from this relationship between the NLRB and OSHA that's been reduced to writing in this October memorandum. Yeah, maybe
1: may, maybe it is. But you know, if, if an employee goes to the labor board with, say, uh, a, a complaint uh, about uh, their employer, say it's an airline, uh, and uh, it's they say that they weren't treated correctly under a policy after they after they raise something protected by the FAR 21 standard, the labor board might not have authority to investigate that on behalf of the labor board, but they, under this agreement, they can push it over to OSHA and OSHA can can run with it because a FAR 21 claim is something that OSHA can investigate. Uh, At the same time, let's take 11C as an example of a whistleblower statute under the OSHA Act. If an employee... Uh, under the OSH Act, makes an 11C complaint, has got to bring it within 30 days of the uh, alleged discriminatory action, right? But after 30 days, day 31, day 32, day 40, it's untimely, and it easily gets kicked from from uh, from the 11C whistleblower investigation. But the memorandum specifically says... So in that case, OSHA would just refer it over to the Labor Board because under the Labor Board, they have 180 days to bring uh, the the same the, to bring a, a claim under Section Seven or a, a claim alleging that they had their Section Seven rights violated. So if they make a safety complaint on on behalf of a group of workers, then they've got uh, the the protected concerted activity that could give them a basis to file a. A, a labor board, unfair labor practice charge uh, alleging the same misconduct uh, violated the law that they would have brought under 11C if they'd brought it timely. So uh, that's specifically addressed in the memorandum. And and there's cross-training going on between the two agencies to make sure that both agencies and the field representatives are aware of the statutes of limitations as well as the causes of action available under each of the laws.
2: So now, Frank,
1: is this relationship or this, this new, for lack of a better
2: term, documented relationship between the organizations, is that going to have a direct impact on, take as a, for instance, your typical
1: fat cat inspection? With a fatality or a catastrophic accident, the employer has the obligation to report to OSHA within the timelines, depending on what kind of accident occurs. And so that's the employer, you know, self-reporting and putting OSHA on notice. If there are instances uh, of of some watershed whistleblower activity or or alleged retaliation stemming from an investigation like that, where employees allege that they've been treated disparately because of things they've reported or actions they've taken on behalf of themselves and others, then that certainly could lead to a referral to the Labor Board uh, to to conduct uh, an inspection alleging an infringement of a Section 7 right under the Labor Act. I can't conceive the situation where the Labor Board would get notice of a fatality or catastrophic event prior to OSHA getting noticed because of the strict filing deadlines under 1904.39. Right. And what I'm,
2: here's where I'm ultimately going with this. In my experience, there's very few sort of traditional OSHA inspections where, you know, employee complaints are kind of really brought to the fore in the course of whether it's the employee interviews or or any other part of the inspection. And I want to sort of, lay the, 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 groundwork for the listener of this podcast, you know, should they be anticipating in, you know, sort of your normal day in day out traditional invest uh, inspection that they're going to see OSHA, uh, you know, picking up the phone and calling the NLRB and, and reporting some, you know, perceived or real unfair labor practice.
1: I can't imagine that not, not without the gateway whistleblower case. And I agree with you. I, I, I don't see many, many safety inspections turn into whistleblower cases. I, I can only think of a, a handful in the last 20 years that, that turned into that.
2: Frank, not to hijack this and turn this into a discussion about whistleblower complaints, but in, in the whistleblower complaints that you've been dealing with lately, particularly those in Region 6, are you seeing the same trend that I'm seeing? And the trend that I'm seeing is more and more of the 11c complaints have less and less to do with safety than ever and seem much more in the vein of the thing that you talk about being the 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 single biggest issue of what starts a, a organizing campaign which is folks that are unhappy with their place of employment unhappy with the terms and conditions of their employment or what have you and kind of finding the 11c process the way that they're going to vent about it, or, you know, they've been terminated and and this is how we're going to try to reverse the termination.
1: Yeah, I think you nailed it, but I don't feel like it's a new trend. I I feel like it's what turned me off to 11C cases, right? If we were talking about legitimate safety issues, then that's one thing. But I've so often felt like the complaints were employees complaining and looking for a venue to field their complaint. Uh, and, and OSHA is an easy one to go to. Uh, and and while I'm not a big fan of the whistleblower statutes and the and that process, there there are some really good whistleblower investigators, as you and I have discussed in the past. I mean, there, there are some really good ones out there, especially in this region that are practical, but they have to follow their whistleblower manual. And at, that whistleblower manual has a step-by-step process, right? We're they do step one, step two, step three, and it's. It, I think it's frustrating for a lot of these whistleblower investigators, just like it's frustrating for us that they have to go, go through that process because uh, at the end of the day, when they make their recommendation to throw it out, the person who filed the complaint gets to send it up to Washington and say, I think they got it wrong, and then that's an opportunity for them to be second-guessed, and they don't like that. They don't like to be second-guessed, so... Uh, yeah, I, I I see it as as a real driving issue, which should have taken me right away to to the next point that you are trying to prompt me to to talk about, and that's the good communication, right? Uh, we well, always maybe hear my
2: communication wasn't that good. Maybe that was the problem. <laughs> I, I I got the jab there, Frank, I, and I'm
1: hurt. No, no, it's not about that at all. I was just a little slow on the uptake because uh, you you know you really. You really struck a chord with me there. That that has been my frustration with the whistleblower stuff for so long. And, and my frustration with the fact that we're even having to deal with it at such a formal level when when if we just had that good supervisor interaction and that good communication with employees, we could probably see a, a great reduction in the number of labor board ULP charges we get and the number of 11C complaints uh, and more strange. complaints we get.
2: Let me interrupt you for a second because our audience isn't necessarily a labor audience. Could you explain what an, a ULP complaint is?
1: Yeah, I'd, I'd said it earlier. Unfair labor practice charge, w- where they allege uh, that their Section Seven rights have been violated. That's what I mean by ULP. But it, it, you know, that's the number one reason that employees go outside of the organization is that they don't feel like they're respected. They don't feel like they're being heard, and everybody says they've got an open door policy, but so often, you know, you walk around you find those doors are closed. <laughs> the people can't, you know, the, the frontline management can't be reached because they're in their office with the doors closed, filling out paperwork. Uh, and I understand they have a job to do. They want to get home to their families too, especially uh, around, you know, labor issues is. Employees need to be heard. They need to have somebody to be able to talk to. And you're, you're out on the floor interacting with employees, wherever they happen to be, on the job site, on the production floor, where you're interacting with them and, and getting to know them. And then if they have a concern or they have a question, you you either answer it right there if you know the answer. And if you don't, you say, I'll get that answer. You keep working. I'll be back here uh, and and go get the answer. And then I think it's important for employees to feel like they're getting answers in real time and that the employer actually cares about them getting the answer or, or feeling good about their work. You know, it goes along with the same themes you and I talk about all the time is giving them feedback when they're doing a good job, just like you give them feedback when they're not doing a good job. I think people like that reassurance that they're doing well, that they fit in. And I don't know about you, there have been plenty of times in my working career where I felt like I didn't fit in or that I, Candidly, wasn't liked, but I think people. I think a lot of people have those insecurities from time to time, and and need to be reassured. And if they don't have the person they look up to or the supervisor to turn to, then they turn to somebody else. And that's where you get plaintiffs' lawyers involved, and where you get the government involved in situations where the government probably would rather not to be involved. Right? Yeah. Can, can't you can't you just talk to your employees, Mr. Supervisor?
2: Yeah, well you and this is purely anecdotal, but a lot of folks that listen to this and we may have talked about this in a prior podcast, you know, just like you had a prior life, I had a prior life and and mine was in a manufacturing facility, there I was a frontline supervisor, and yeah, I spent ninety five percent of my time on the floor, you know, made myself very accessible. And whereas you know, my colleagues were having grievances filed against them left, right, and center, I had one Filed against me in, in the entire time I did that. And, and that was honestly a grievance that should have been filed and, and one that our action should have been overturned and ultimately was. And it was an action I had to take because somebody told me to take it and I disagreed with it. And obviously, based on my commentary here, disagreed with or agreed with the outcome and agreed with what ultimately happened. But that, you know, just from a purely anecdotal standpoint, from that experience as well as my experience as a safety lawyer and i know you and i have talked about this as well and and at great length you know those places of employment where supervision is interactive with its personnel and you know that's all levels of supervision and all components so safety human resources um you know the, the actual production supervision or whatever you know if it's a service business obviously not production but You know, when there's a lot of interactivity, it seems to solve a lot of problems before they ever start, let alone, you know, getting down the road and and running into problems because somebody has gone to some agency. But continuing on with the NLRB OSHA memoranda, Frank, can you explain to our audience kind of where this is coming from, why this is coming now, what the, the, the sort of background to this all is?
1: Uh, well, yeah, you know that gets into a little bit of politics, but let's say it this way: both the Labor Board and OSHA are executive branch agencies, right? And that means that that they're basically staffed by the the President of the United States, and we see policies that are more favorable to organized labor, labor unions. We see more of these policies when um, a, a Democrat president is in office. Uh, and we know that Joe Biden, Dan Strong with, with unions, also the president gets to appoint the people that run OSHA. And so it's not a surprise to see that there is um, what we as, as lawyers representing employers would argue is, um, is some, some special treatment toward organized labor. Uh, And and that is the background. That's why we're seeing this now. We we typically see it during a Democrat's uh, period in office.
2: And, And Frank, do we expect, do you expect that as relates to OSHA and labor issues, there's going to be more memoranda like this coming? Or is this, in your mind, kind of the end of the road in terms of, yeah you know, this type of formal directive what do you prognosticate what do you predict
1: i think we're going to see more collective actions between the different executive branch agencies where they're trying to coordinate effort to to involve organized labor a, a prime example of that and you know we'll we'll start hearing more about it real soon is the walk around rule they finished taking comments in mid november November thirteenth, they'll start responding to those comments and we'll start getting feedback and and conversation going about that on the walk around rule. And for those of you who aren't familiar, the walk-around rule, an expansion of an existing policy where OSHA has proposed to let third parties come walk during an inspection. If they if the compliance officer feels like that third party would be uh, helpful to the inspection it's a pretty loose term not well defined but one of the focuses of that expansion of the rule is to uh, enable union representatives to come in to an employer's workplace in a non-union setting so an employer may not have a union but but OSHA compliance officers will have the authority to identify a union representative to walk with them during an inspection where that union representative otherwise wouldn't have any authority to enter the facility. The one on that point that really blows my mind is
2: employees could be represented by union A, but for whatever reason, OSHA brings representative from union B into that workplace. That to me is is an interesting conundrum
1: yeah i'm not sure that that plays out i think that could be a real problem but i think all of it's a real problem i think i think that a compliance officer selecting the representative for a group of employees flies in the face of what the national labor relations act provides and i, I think it they've got a, a a preemption problem under 4b1 of the of the osh act but uh, that'll all be played out later I, uh, I hope we don't have to go down that litigation road i hope that they they don't end up adopting the, the, the walk-around rule, but I feel like there's a real chance they do. Oh, I agree completely. Absolutely, positively agree. And I think we're going to see more initiatives like that. I just think we'll see more initiatives like that. I I, I don't know what to anticipate yet, but I, I don't think this is it. I don't think this memo is it. I don't think the walk-around rule is it. I think we're going to see more initiatives like that.
2: Oh, I completely agree. And I mean, you know, one of our... Immigration colleagues and I wrote an article earlier this year relative to uh, compliance officers receiving authority to basically authenticate the application of undocumented employees for certain types of visas that are typically awarded folks who are subject to some level of persecution or what have you. And, you know, basically because they've cooperated with the government, we're going to give them a pathway to immigration status you know, we've heard of some of the other collaborative efforts. We're also, you know, we've got an attorney general who's um, issued some opinions relative to cooperation in criminal cases. And so you've got DOJ kind of layered on top of all of that. So I think in terms of the executive level agencies or the executive branch agencies uh, working with our friends at OSHA, I, I agree with you. I think it's going to be, More and more robust as this administration continues.
1: Yeah, I fear it's unavoidable, but we'll keep, we'll, you know, we'll do our very best to keep everybody informed as as these things arise and we'll try to be as predictive as we can about the impact. Well, Frank, we've probably reached the point where we need to wrap this up. You
2: got any final thoughts or final words to our audience relative to this cooperation between the NLRB and our friends at OSHA?
1: I think there'll be some lag time before we start seeing much impact from this memorandum, and depending how the next election comes out, it might be a short-lived policy. But yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect to see anything right away. I'd be surprised to see something uh, along these lines right away. But you know, by next summer or so, I wouldn't be surprised if we started getting some some overlap on cases.
2: I think that's fair. I mean, we were internally circulating emails about the immigration program. And it appears nobody yet has seen anything happening relative to OSHA making those referrals. So uh, I, I do think there's some lag time that, that dates back to March. And so, you know, we're talking about eight, nine months ago.
1: Only time will tell. No doubt. I was also thinking the same thing uh, about the per instance uh, citations. Well, you know, that came out in January and I still haven't, haven't seen a big change in that. No, but that's probably a topic for another day we probably do
2: need to actually to use the micro expression land the plane
1: all right let's do so john great talking to to you. you
2: good talking with you frank you stay out of trouble you too
0: thank you for joining us on the ogletree deacons podcast